Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? The Seahawks are terrible, but that's okay. That's they, they might really stink, man. I, Yeah, they might. And it doesn't help that they play in the NFC West. So. Yeah, 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 it happens. Uh, also, but the Mariners are still alive for a playoff spot. That's Mariners, what really matters. And far more importantly, Yankees, Red Sox uh, this evening to determine who is going to be in pole position for uh, a to host a wild card game in the American League. Uh, I would like it if the Yankees hosted that game, but y'all aren't here to hear us talk about uh, Major League Baseball. You are instead here to hear us talk about how Penn State Fetty Wapped Villanova Nittany Lions 38, Wildcats 17. Um, Nick, it was a game that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and toot my own horn and, you know, pat myself in the back and all that, but like, I, my, I think my feeling was correct in that, like, Penn State didn't play bad in the first half, but I think we can all agree a 17 to three score was a little flattering to Villanova. And that final score is definitely a little bit flattering to Villanova. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Also. So I understand, obviously I understand what Fetty Wapping is, but it is it. I feel like it's more accurate to say that Villanova Fetty yeah. us because you have to start with the 17. I, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess, yeah, the road team has to. So, yeah, Villanova, Fetty Wap, Penn State, 17-13. Well, we'll have to consult. Did did Roger Sherman create that? That was a Roger thing, yes. I will yeah, actually we'll, go we'll and have check. to consult him. I will actually go and check right now if Roger tweeted about this. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, bit of a, uh, again, final score, 38-17, Penn State up 17-3 at the half. Like, like I said, and I think you mostly agreed with it, like that was a bit kind to Villanova in terms of just the gap between these two things. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, the nowhere was the gap more evident than, well, I should say nowhere was the lack of gap evident than on the, uh, while Penn state's offensive line was going against their defensive line, but nowhere was more evident than when, I mean, Parker Washington running free on that 67 yard catch and throw, I think it was. And then, Keandre Lambert Smith's touchdown. Like both of those plays just very clearly show the difference between an FCS and an FBS team. Um, so, you know, yeah. In the end, the scoreline looks a lot kinder than I think the game actually was. And obviously, if Penn State had kept its starters in the entire game, things would have gotten a lot uglier. Uh, Roger tweeted yesterday, I'm not going to issue a one time. I'm going to issue a one time statement on the matter. This account does not celebrate FCS team F. BS teams, Fetty Wapping FCS teams. I simply can't condone it. So I suppose Penn State did the Fetty Wapping here. Um, In the event you don't know what we're talking about, uh, the uh, musician Fetty Wap is a song called My Way that starts with him saying 1738. 1738. I could cut cut all of this in post, but I'm not going to do that because... I, I hope Nick is embarrassed. Uh, but yeah, our, our front, our front mat at our front door. Uh, my wife, Holly bought a plain one and she used uh, her. I don't think she used the cricket. I think she just painted on it, but she made it. So it says, Hey, what hey, up? What hello. hello. Nice. So let's talk about this game. Um, we'll talk about the offense second, because I think the offense is a little less, a little more important. I think we'd have a much quicker conversation about Penn state's defense. Uh, and then we're going to get into the non-conference recap in a little bit we have some questions from readers that we're going to address but Penn State's defense Nick like I don't know if there's necessarily a ton we can say about it allowed 280 yards uh 222 passing 58 rushing forced a turnover uh Villanova four for 14 on third downs like I think Penn State's defense did what you expect an FBS defense to do in these games even though it was against a very good FCS offense and what makes that so impressive to me is that in a thing we're going to mention a few times on this podcast when everyone goes and reads snap counts that Dan did on our site today, James Franklin, Brent Pry placed a premium on getting guys in there to just get college football experience. Yeah, the only thing I would have liked to see more of would have been sacks. They had, let's see, one, two, three on the day. And one of them should have been a horse collar tackle on a Kazai Izzard. But 
other than that, that's the only thing that that was really my only complaint. Uh, I was happy with how the secondary looked. I think they had maybe well, the starters were still, and I think they had maybe one one long third down that they're completed. I think Joey Porter, they just got caught between his own between Joey Porter Jr. and Jair Brown. But yeah, aside from that, I don't think there's anything to really take away from the defense other than the fact that they're still really, really good because they started rotating guys in pretty early and Villanova still only had three points going into the fourth quarter when they went into wholesale substitution mode. So yeah, my takeaway is that this defense is very good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go through Villanova's drive chart uh, real quick. First half, three plays, punt, three plays, punt, 10 plays, field goal. I'm uh, pulling this up. They had uh, passes of 11 and 17 yards and a drive extended on a third and eight uh, that due to a roughing the passer. Six plays, punt, three plays, punt, three plays, punt, one play, end of half, get into the second half. Two plays and uh, Daniel Smith throws an interception. Four plays, punt, five plays, punt. Three plays punt, fourth quarter comes around, eight plays touchdown, 10 plays touchdown. It's a thing that we're going to mention, I think, a little bit later, but there's this sense that Penn State's defense was, um, I don't want to say complacent. Uh, you know, maybe they weren't playing at a 10 out of 10 effort. Maybe they were at a 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10. When Penn State's ones with some sprinkling of Penn State's twos were in the game, they dominated Villanova's offense, which again, number three FCS offense, albeit still an FCS offense with FCS talent. Um, by the time Villanova got its points, it still had its first team players largely in the game. I think they might have rotated uh, starting running back Justin Covington out and put in his backup while they were going up against Penn State's twos, Penn State's threes. Uh, Again, you're going to look through snap counts and you're going to see names uh, like Zaki Wheatley. You're going to see names like Tyler Rudolph, like Fatorma Moba. Guys who James Franklin has shown over the years he wants to have them play in these sorts of situations. And that's basically what contributes to it for me. Again, Villanova on the day had a grand total of 220 uh, yards, uh, 280, apologies, yards of total offense. 75 and 94 were the lengths of their final two drives. They weren't exactly lighting it up. So really, Nick, outside of like you said, I wanted to see some more getting into and living in the backfield. Uh, a day I was happy with. Do you want to ask, the sack number, And it was three. I think you and I could both agree we wanted to see a little bit more there. What, do you think that's something we would have been paying attention to if not for how Penn State's pass rush was last season? Um, no, I think generally this is the type of game where you would expect to see more of that. And I know we, we talked a lot about how last year's pass rush wasn't bad. It just, they just didn't put up the sack numbers we would have hoped for. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think that necessarily went into it. It, you know, it's just kind of the type of thing that you want to see and expect to see when you have a matchup with such a discrepancy between size and speed along the offensive and defensive line. Yeah. And eight, and eight tackles for a loss for the Nittany Lions. So at least they had, uh, they had that going for them. We will look to the offensive side of the ball. Um, Nittany Lion offense gained 509 total yards, Nick, but a bit of a gripe that I have seen out there is that, only 80 of those yards came on the ground. Sean Clifford, masterful, masterful performance, 19 for 26, 401 yards, average of 15 yards per 15.4 yards per completion, four touchdowns and a pick that wasn't his fault. But there has been a sense that Penn State's rushing offense is a bit of a problem at this point. We'll talk, we'll talk more broadly uh, once we get into the more mailbag portion of this, as you can guess, a lot of people want to ask about that, but what, to what do you believe we can attribute Penn State's struggles running the ball in this game? And are those issues that you believe have existed through the first four games of this season? I think Matt Mellon hit the nail on the head in the broadcast. Now I, I frequently disagree with things Matt Mellon says during broadcasts, but he pointed out that the offensive line just hasn't really done much in the way of getting a push in the run game. And I, I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that's been the main issue. I, 
when we've seen the Penn State running backs get even an inch of space, we've seen them be able to run effectively. Kayvon Lee had those four straight 10-yard runs against Ball State. We saw Noah Kane have that big 20-something yard run against Wisconsin. Like They don't need a lot of space to get going. They just haven't really gotten that space much at all. Um, and for me, that's that's kind of what it comes back to. And we can talk about this more later. But at this point, I, I'm not sure it's something that is going to be fixed. And I'm not entirely sure that it's something that Phil Tratwine should take too drastic of measures to attempt to fix. Um, but we can talk about that more when we get to the Q&A. Yeah, I mean, the it was a point that I saw James Franklin got a little bit of stick for on uh, on the broadcast, but it was something like oh, we're at halftime. He said something to the extent of we're averaging four and a half yards per carry, so it's not I think, that bad. I think he actually I, said three something, um, but he was well, saying when you when you factor out the sacks, yeah, which that's is what, fair. I, that, that's should, what I sacks should be a part of that number. Yeah, it was it was something to that extent, and like I I think I. I I agree. I, I mean, a big part of the issue is that Villanova's defensive front was just like very aggressive. I mean, you want to see, especially against something like a three-three-five, where you have you're going to be able to get into that second level of a defense a little easier. But I do think Villanova was, I don't want to say selling out against the run, but they were just being very, very aggressive against it, mixed with. Uh, like you mentioned and like uh, noted Penn State great Matt Millen mentioned, uh, the offensive line just doesn't really drive dudes back uh, in the running game. And it's a concern. Like, I think it's a concern. My reason for optimism to whatever extent I have one is that if Noah Kane is healthy and there was a mention that Noah Kane got banged up earlier in the week and they were trying to just you know, they put a lid on his day pretty easily, uh, pretty early. Uh, so he had one carry for two yards. If he is healthy, I think he and John Lovett, who had 11 carries for 45 yards, 4.1 yards per carry, are a much better complement for one another than Noah Kane and Kayvon Lee. Uh, just because, you know, I, I think Lee, you want him as more of your change of pace back and there was this weird thing he did on a few occasions where despite his size and physicality, like, I almost think his fumble issues are in his own head and he just like got to a point where he could choose to initiate contact and he like stopped and tried to go in another, it was, it was unusual. Uh, it's something I'm, I'm going to dog here, but I think Lovett and Kane is a one, two puncher, possibly even Lovett and Lee is a really good running back duo. Um, I was happy with John Lovett's performance, Nick. I thought he looked like, uh, he looked like the kind of back that Penn State has kind of needed for a minute. Uh, you know, kind of the prince who was promised in uh, Devin Ford. What did uh, what did you think of his game? Yeah, for me, his his contributions in this game, as far as the run game goes, are really the only thing I cared about in this game in the long term sense. And like you said, eleven carries, forty five yards, four point one yards carry. That thirteen yard run was nice. He had another, I think it was like a maybe a 10 yard run where he dragged defenders with him a bit too. And he went right through the middle of the offensive line. Like he showed some good things. Uh, we know that he has ability as a pass catcher as well. So for me, uh, yes, overall the run game was not strong. It was not a good performance for them, but the most important thing for the long-term health of the run game and health of the offense is that John Lovett is able to pick up yards on the ground. And he was able to do that well enough, like 4.1, 4.1 yards per carry. Fine. That's fine. Perfectly fine for your second string or one B, how whatever his real designation is in the offense. Like that is totally fine. Um, the only thing I was really disappointed in, aside from the offensive line not blocking up the way we think they were, and you touched on it, Kayvon Lee, he just doesn't really look like he t totally understands what he needs to do as a running back to be success successful. He's not somebody who should be dancing behind the backfield. And he just looks a little tentative right now. He just needs to get the ball and just plow forward. That's all he needs to do. And until he gets back to that, I don't really think he should see the field all that much. Yeah. Like I, like I mentioned, I do think the fumble, the fact that he's put the ball in the deck a few times in the first couple of games is something that's like, you can put almost... on some gloves then man. Come on. <laughs> I, I I don't know. He looks kind of badass, dude. And maybe maybe just just cover up like the ball with two hands. Like that's all all you really need you to do. But uh, love it. Um, you know, eleven carries so, and one reception. So take these numbers with a bit of a grain of salt. But uh, on the year, thirteen carries, uh, fifty four yards, two carries, 
uh, 19 yards. And on his career, he's, uh, you know, dating back to when he was at Baylor, 368 carries, 1,857 yards, five touchdowns, I mean, five yards per carry. So, like, he's a guy who is a little bit different from a lot of grad transfers in that he has a ton of experience against really good high level college defenses. And I think he's going to be a very useful member of this Penn state backfield. Uh, other thing uh, real, real quick uh, tank Smith, shout out to him getting in there. One carry seven yards. Always happy to see the big fella get in. Uh, we, we need to uh, talk Sean Clifford really quickly because I think that even by, um, you know, how much praise we have given Clifford, what he has, what he did this weekend, 19 for 26, 401 yards, four touchdowns again, an interception that wasn't really his fault. Very, very impressive. I mean, we've seen Penn State quarterbacks light up lesser competition, Nick. I don't know in recent memory, not Trace McSorley, not Christian Hackenberg, a quarterback who just looked like this was business as usual in a game like this. He looked like there was nothing Villanova could do to really bother him, even though they managed to get home a time or two. Yep. Totally agree. And you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that the interception wasn't really on him. It was a hundred percent not on him. It was a great throw. We put it right where it was supposed to be. And Lambert Smith just bobbled it and tossed it up into the air. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if any of his throws today topped the wheel route throw to Kayvon Lee against, um, Oh, was that against Auburn? I don't even remember now where that was. But regardless, I don't know if any of his throws uh, against Villanova topped that one in terms of just perfectness. But both of his throw, both of his touchdown passes to Parker Washington were about as good of throws as you will ever see Sean Clifford make. Hitting him perfectly in stride, putting the ball, uh, the first one, there wasn't any defender in the way to knock it down. But the second one, it was in the end zone. Things were a little tighter. And he still put it only where Washington was able to get it. Those are the types of throws that we have not seen Sean Clifford hit with consistency, the kind where he can put the ball out in front of his receiver and hit them in full stride and let them get on their horse and go. We saw him do that multiple times in this game, uh, particularly on those throws to Parker Washington. This is easily far and away the best Sean Clifford has looked, and he looked just so calm and collected and confident as he should against Villanova. Like this is not a defense you should be scared of if you are the Penn state offense, but the way he is operating right now back there, especially with the time that the offensive line is affording him, but also with the way that he has been able to maneuver in the pocket. Granted that those tests in that regard are going to get a lot tougher in the coming weeks, but the way he has been able to move in the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and find ways to make plays has been really impressive the the touchdown throw to Keandre Lambert Smith, obviously that really shouldn't have been a touchdown. Somebody should have been able to make that play. His juke actually reminded me a lot of that was that was like an Al Robinson type play where he just, you know, he takes one step and just like kind of goes on an angle. And for some reason, no defender was ever able to stop Al Robinson from doing that. That was what Keandre Lambert Smith did on that play. But for Clifford to recognize that that the bubble screen was broken. Actually, I don't know what went on there. It didn't even look like anybody was actually waiting for the pass. I don't know what went on up there with those three, but for him to then tuck the ball, avoid some rushers, get to a place where he could have taken off if he had to, but then have the wherewithal like he, you could, it was very obvious. He was not looking to throw that football, but to have the wherewithal to have the ball tucked to run, see Lambert Smith find himself open transition that ball back to his throwing hand in a way that allowed him to throw accurately with defenders running at him. That in, that was Clifford's most impressive individual play. I think he has made as a Penn Stater. Like that was the cream of the crop for him. And that's the kind of stuff that should have Penn State fans just over the moon with his performance so far this year. I don't know. Uh, him going deep on the very first play of the game was pretty cool. So uh, I, I would say yes, that is... <laughs> but he had like he could have thrown that ball anywhere within like a 30 yard window. Yeah, Dodson was going to center field it. Uh, I, I'm just going to mention uh, you, I, I think you hit on everything, but I'm just going to mention some stuff. Uh, Sean Clifford is 14th nationally in passer rating, 14th nationally in completion percentage. 
15th in passing yards and 12th in yards per completion. Uh, I said this on my Twitter account during the game. I said this during on the blog Twitter account during the game. Like, this is just a different dude from previous years. Like, he said all this stuff coming in about being the most confident quarterback in the country. And if you really take out that first half against Wisconsin, where he was very obviously trying to figure out how he was working within a brand new offense, like, yeah, this dude is he he's just doing some spectacular stuff this season. Um, I, I am going to ask, there is a bit of a sentiment I've seen out there, Nick, where people are worried about how Penn State looked in this game. Uh, you look at the final score, 38-17. Uh, it actually could have looked a little bit closer because uh, of a touchdown that was called at the very end of the game on a Tank Smith carry that – uh, got punched out after his knee was down, but it was a scoop and score by Villanova. Uh, 38-17, I think the line that you're going to hear from a lot of people is, hey, you know, uh, you see really good teams play FCS or really bottom-of-the-barrel FBS opponents all the time, and when those games happen, you get stuff like Alabama beating uh, Southern Miss 63-14. to You get stuff like Ohio State beating Akron 59-7. to those sorts of things. Where do you land on Penn State's sleepwalk, slept walk, whatever the hell the uh, conjugation for that is? Penn State didn't Sleep, quite sleep to walketh. I will. Uh, I, I'll. I'll send an email and try to get to the bottom of that one. Uh, just Penn State didn't look like a team that is deserving of its lofty ranking. Or Penn State didn't look like a team that was taking Villanova seriously or whatever you want to say about this game. How do you respond to that? I I think that anybody thinking that is drawing way too many conclusions based off of one game. I think it's important to recognize that this, you know, normally Penn State season, they typically have, you know, unless it's a year where they're playing a marquee out-of-conference opponent like Auburn, they typically have at least two kind of cakewalk games to open up the season, sometimes as many as three if they're playing Pitt that year. Um, So, you know, you have a lot of chances to work through your offense and test out different things and purposely put different things on film and all, all that stuff that offensive and defensive coordinators love to be able to do early to set up the rest of the season. And, you know, it turned out that Ball State was a game where they were able to do that a little bit. But going into it, that wasn't the expectation for the Ball State game. You know, that that is the returning MAC champion. Like that is that was expected to be a tougher game. So Penn State hasn't had an opportunity to go into a game knowing that you know this should be very very simple, like they were able to against Villanova on Saturday. So. You know, did things go perfectly? No, they were three of 12 on third down. That's not great. They only rushed for 80 yards. We have talked about that ad nauseum already. They uh, they didn't win the turnover battle this week. It was one to one again. Fluke turnover for Penn State, just kind of a the juggling Keandre Lambert Smith play. But I think it's important to recognize that this was never going. I don't think this was ever setting up to be a game that Penn State would go out there and try to win 70 to seven, 77 to seven, like another team did this weekend. It's it's just like this is the type of game you have to use to one, get those guys in that don't get to play very often and try to get them in early so they get a chance to rep with the ones a little bit. Two, try to get more things on tape that you want opponents to have to prepare for, whether they are great for the team in that specific game situation or not. And three, just stay healthy. Just don't do anything risky or daring and just try to keep it simple and just get out of there with just get out of there with full health because as terrifying as it was, we saw how quickly bad things can happen to Villanova. Thank, thank goodness that, uh, I'm sorry. What his name was, um, Dan Wills. Is that what it was? Tyler will Tyler Wills. Thank goodness that he only somehow only has a concussion now. Um, heard it. I believe I saw that he's back at home with family now, but totally able to move all his extremities, all that stuff, which is just fantastic news. Um, but that's, I mean, those are the main goals in a game like this, if you're Penn state. So I, if you are worried about a 38 to 17 win, that really could have been, could have been as, I mean, that could have easily could have been 45 to three. If Johnny Dixon catches the pick six and if they don't go wholesale substitutions in the fourth quarter. So I don't think there's anything to be worried about here. I think 
this team is just fine, especially when you look around the landscape of college football and how many other teams struggled in games they weren't supposed to struggle in this weekend. Yeah, uh, just on that note, Penn State SID, uh, Chris Peterson tweeted during the game, uh, Tyler Will being treated for a concussion, uh, treated at a local hospital for precautionary reasons, was full or had full movement of his extremities before leaving the stadium, which was uh, really you know, scary scene, but glad it ended in about as good of a way as it possibly could. Um, yeah, I here my answer to that question is yes. You talked about the third down conversion numbers, talked about the rush numbers, I agree. At the same time, that score was 17-3 to three at the half. Penn State's second-to-last drive of the half, they had a fourth and three on Villanova's 33 that they converted but got called back because of Rasheed Walker holding. That doesn't happen. They're getting more points on that drive. Next drive starts at Villanova's 44-yard line. Sean Clifford ends up uh, taking a sack on second and seven, uh, knocks them out of – you know, field goal range, knocks them out of range to be able to continue a drive, that sort of thing. It was basically two plays that kept Penn State from getting more points at the end of a half. And then in the second half, again, just kind of to, going to add to, on to that first half real quick. So, and tell me, does your impression change if it's 20 to three at half, if Jordan Stout doesn't miss the field goal? Yeah. I mean, like if it's 20 to three, if it's, you know, Add 14 points out if it's 31 to three, whatever it might be. Like, I think what a lot of Penn State fans wanted to see in that situation was a blowout. Second half, they get it up to 38 to three by the time the twos come in and Villanova's keeping their ones out there. Like, if it, that game finished 38 to three, every Penn State fan is going to go, all right, cool, blew them out, awesome. What I think were like is the difference here between them, between Ohio State, Alabama, whomever it might be, is that. A lot of schools take a lot of pride in running the score up in these sorts of games. And I'm not saying this from a sportsmanship point of view. Like, I don't believe in sportsmanship. Uh, I believe you should, uh, you know, kick the hell out of every team you possibly can. I believe it is incentivized in college football to kick the hell out of every team that you possibly can. Even, like, from the BCS era to where we are now, neither here nor there. James Franklin, as a football coach, values the opportunity to get guys folded into these sorts of games. You look, for example, at Penn State's offensive line. Uh, Penn State went into its twos and its threes throughout its offensive line. Six guys got snaps at running back. Nine guys got snaps at wide receiver. One, 12, 12, 13 guys on the defensive line. 13 guys in the secondary. Penn State's goal in this game was not we are going to try and grind Villanova into dust. We're not going to try and make it so Villanova regrets ever coming up here for this game, even though they got a hefty payday for it. James Franklin values these games as opportunities for Koziah Izzard to play the exact same amount of snaps as P.J. Mustafer, for Kobe King and Jamari Budden to combine to play as many snaps as Curtis Jacobs, for Keaton Ellis to play more snaps at safety than Jaquan Brisker, and Tyler Reed to play four fewer snaps at safety than Jaquan Brisker, for Tyler Warren and Brenton Strange to play the exact same number of snaps. Those sorts of things. So I do, honest to God, get it, but I think we need that little extra context of like James Franklin just approaches these games a little bit differently than everyone else. And... If Penn State goes into Kinnick and wins that football game, Penn State comes into my backyard and wins in Ohio Stadium, nobody is going to care about the final score of this Villanova game. There are far bigger fish to fry, and I think that they have shown so far that they're in a position to do that, and we're going to skip handing out game balls because we both agree it's Sean Clifford, whatever. Let's just get right into the non-conference recap, and for me, Nick, we got to start with what is the biggest question that we've had answered. The biggest question that we've had answered is this is a top five football team right now. This is one of the five best college football teams in America, even though that final score against Villanova does not indicate that. Yeah, totally. The defense is playing at a potentially a top three level in the country. I'd be willing to even start pushing the envelope as far as, as far as how high they can go. I, I'm not sure they're better than, Alabama or Georgia. I honestly haven't watched much Alabama this year. I need to, I need to just do that a little Nick, bit and Nick, get a sense Nick, for where Nick, they're at. Nick, 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 I don't Nick, need to. That's the it's point. Alabama. <laughs> right. Right. That's the point. Um, and I know Georgia's defense is phenomenal, but you know, I, 
and I think it's kind of a toss up there then between Penn state and Iowa for who's the best defense after that. But, um, yeah, the defense is amazing. The offense, I was just starting to write something actually where, you know, the offense has, I think has been great so far. It's also still evolving and it's also showing how dangerous it can be based on the situation. This is something we've talked about every week now, but week one, they beat Wisconsin by, you know, trying to force the issue with the run game and then just popping a bunch of bubble screens out to the outside and then using those bubble screens to set up the deep shots to Jahan Dotson week two against ball state. They kept it pretty much mostly safe. Not a lot of deep throws because they were able to run the ball more effectively in that game. And that's, that's really all they did game uh, week three against Auburn. They opened up the passing game a little bit more. They still had a bunch of, a bunch of throws to the boundary for those little quick bubble screens again, but they were much more active in the middle of the field in that like five to 15 yard range. And then this week against Villanova, we saw them just say, ah, screw it. Let's just go deep and just start chucking balls up deep. And they really extended it out to like a, like a more like a five to 25, 30 yard range for a lot of those throws. So they're doing it in a different way every single week. And they're making it really difficult to, to prepare, to play against them. Like if you're Indiana right now, what are the things that you definitely know Penn State is going to try to do against you? You know that they're probably going to try to get the run game going. That's what they've been doing. And you know they're going to try to attack you with bubble screens. But if you really sell out to try to stop those bubble screens, they're just going to send Theo Johnson or Bretton Strange straight out on their routes instead of blocking, and they're just going to hit them down the seams. Or they're just going to do a little pump and goes all day and have Jahan Dotson feast over the middle or deep down the sideline and have Parker Washington run free in the middle. Like, I don't know how you prepare for this offense at the moment. I, I really, I really don't. So I think the biggest question answered, like you said, is this is a really good football team that is also really difficult to prepare to play. Yeah. I, mean, I think what I would basically say is that in terms of an actual question that we had coming into the season, like th- that's the broad answer. The broad answer is that this Penn state team wasn't going to let, how last year's last year went carry over. They weren't going to um, bolt. They weren't going to get suckered up by a schedule that started out very tricky. Uh, although funny enough, the schedule has gotten exponentially harder as the year has gone on, but just broadly, like the answer is that, that this is a, this is an exceptionally good football team in terms of a specific thing. Uh, Nick, I think I would say it is the, that Sean Clifford, everything that was said about him, written about him, came out of the program about him, is 110% true. This is a different quarterback. This is a guy who looks like he is capable of being that dude for Penn State. Whether or not that means he's going to uh, you know, be a first-team All-Big Ten pick, an All-American, whatever, I don't want to put that on him because we just don't know yet, but Four weeks into a brand new offense, Sean Clifford has just about every answered just about every question asked of him. What is your biggest answer? Again, specifically that has been answered about this Penn State team. I mean, everything that I wrote about and thought about coming into preseason was always came back to Sean Clifford. So it's hard to it's hard to speak too passionately in any other direction because the answer is. What would Sean Clifford look like? What, how well would Sean Clifford grasp the offense, all that stuff. Um, but I think another, another thing we were really worried about, or maybe not worried, but that we need a question that we need to answer was how would the middle of the Penn state defense hold up? Because PJ Mustafer was good in 2020. He wasn't, I wouldn't say he's outstanding out playing. He wasn't playing necessarily to his level. Um, and then we knew we had a new starter coming in, Derek Tangelo or, Perhaps it was going to be Hakeem Beeman. We still don't know what what is going on with him. Um, Ellis Brooks, we knew, was a solid player, but I don't think anyone felt like he was going to become a potential all-conference player before the season. And then Jaquan Brisker had all the pro football focus hype, but you know a lot of Penn State fans were skeptical. And then you had new starter, Jair Brown, next to him. So the fact that those four or five players are now, you know, Aside from maybe Joey Porter Jr. and Arnold Ebiketti, maybe the five best players on the defense, I think that they answered the question of can they be the backbone the defense needs with an emphatic yes. Those those five players have been outstanding, and I think they've been the key for the Penn State defense. And that leads to our next 
biggest question, which is what is the biggest question that still remains for this team? I'll let you go first here because I my guess is that we're going to have either the same or very similar answers. And uh, I kind of just took your last one. So by all means, go ahead. Well, I'll I'll focus I'll stay on the defensive side. I'll let you I'll let you tackle the offense when we get back to you. I think the big question for me defensively is just how you know we've we've seen this defense play really, really, really fantastically so far. But how are they gonna respond when they have to go against Ohio State, who for my money I'm not even sure it matters who's playing quarterback, I think is the best passing attack in the country. Though I, I do think Sean Clifford and the Penn State receivers are slowly catching up. Um, but you know, that is an offense with two, the potential, the top two picks, not top two picks, the top two receivers that will be drafted in the next NFL draft and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Then you have guys like Jackson Smith and Ajigba, who has been fantastic and guys like, uh, somebody, somebody's son, I think is waiting in the wings there. Someone junior. I don't know. Um, you, uh, you mean Marvin Harrison jr. Who, uh, who? Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I like I don't know why his name is Marvin Harrison Jr. because I've never is heard his of father him. is yeah yeah that's the thing yeah, I've never weird. heard of a father with that name but uh yeah but, that's odd I yeah no I I nothing about him but yeah so you know Ohio State offense obviously going to be a challenge for this Penn State defense to face and then you know more and more it seems like I don't know, they probably should have lost to Rutgers this weekend but the Michigan running attack is still formidable and then over at michigan state you have kenneth walker the third who's been playing damn near like a heisman candidate to this point so there are going to be tougher questions to answer for the defense i think than they have seen thus far especially as graham mertz con- <laughs> continues to reveal himself as more and more of a pumpkin <sighs> at this point so i i think that's that's the big thing for me is just how is this penn state defense going to hold up against more formidable offensive attacks, especially knowing how little they rotate. Are they going to be able to stick to the snap rotations that they like, that they've shown so far that they like to use against a team like Michigan? That's going to do everything they can to wear you down with the run game. I, I question if that's possible and I wonder what's going to happen when they have to put in. Cause I is for a couple snaps or Devon Ellie's or they have to go to, uh, I mean, Vanover off the edge, stuff like that. I, that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, and obviously on the other side of the ball, it's how, are they able to run the football with any level of consistency? Like I mentioned, I think once it's John Lovett and Noah Kane in there, they're going to be able to like it's just going to make a little bit more sense. Uh, but everything starts up front. And so far, what we've seen is that the group of Rashid Walker, Eric Wilson, Mike Miranda, Juice Scruggs, and Caden Wallace can give Sean Clifford plenty of time to throw. Uh, they're a good pass blocking unit, but their run blocking has been lacking so far. Um, it's funny. In a way, it's funny. Um, that, I think, is the biggest way that we have seen a group trying to learn um, as we've gotten into this new uh, Mike Yursich offense. It just looks like nothing is particularly easy for them. They're not getting push up front. And also they just look like, you know, they're losing assignments. Like guys are, they're getting beaten on delayed blitzes. Like one of the blitzes, I think this might've been the one of the, on the last or second to last drive um, of the first half. Linebacker for Rutgers, uh, not Rutgers, Villanova is just standing there vibing, waiting for, waiting to go, come on a delayed blitz. And Eric Wilson, I think, just lost track of it. And the second that happened, the dude took off and had a clean shot on Clifford. So I wouldn't be I don't. I don't know how much of that was on Wilson, honestly. Like, you could see he was, he was keeping tabs on him and watching. It's just he... He came through the hole so quickly. I don't know if Wilson was ever going to have. I That's think fair. I I think it was uh, Forrest Ryan who you know. By the way, Forrest Ryan, if you want to come take a grad year and come play for a year He's at Penn good. State, please do. That He's dude is good. a beast. But yeah, like just stuff like that. They look like they're a group that is a work in progress, and in a way that's not too surprising. I mean, Eric Wilson didn't play last season, and this is his first year after making the jump from FCS to F. BS. I not F. Yeah, Harvard is uh, FCS. Uh, Mike Miranda was a guard last year, and he's now at center. And in addition to that, he's 
anything he might have learned by osmosis about being next to Michael Mennett now kind of has been thrown out the window. Juice Scruggs and Caden Wallace, two really talented players, guys who've been impressive, but are still new full-time starters. So I'm like, I'm, I have some cautious optimism that they'll be able to get a little bit more of a push as they get more comfortable and that'll make things work for the rushing attack. But we have a few questions about that at the end. Uh, let's move on to just real quick, Nick, our final like recappy thing is just what are your thoughts on the team now versus what your thoughts were at the beginning of the season? I think at the beginning of the year, it was a lot of cautious optimism, but understanding that like, listen, this has a chance to go up, go belly up very quickly. But I also think that they've earned the right to not have those questions asked, that they've earned a level of respect with how they've played through the first four games of the season. Yeah, I mean, I aside from, you know, we weren't asking questions about the run game before the season started or at the beginning yeah, of the funny season. Enough. Yeah, but I think every other question we had about this team and how successful they would be at doing certain things, I think I, I can't think of anything that they're not doing that I had questions about. I think they've been, I mean, this has been a very, very good football team. They have done almost everything right since the second quarter or the second half of the Wisconsin game with the only caveat being that the running game has become a question that we didn't foresee being a question. So yeah, I mean, as far as where I think they are now compared to where they were in the beginning, this is a special football team. And I kind of had a, I I don't, I think it was in a round table uh, that we did before the season about what will define success for this team in 2021. And my answer was, I, I think they need to make a playoff run or at very least a run at the big 10 or something, because the, the I mean, this has the potential, this off season has this off season has the potential to see a lot of dudes leave this team, either just because of where they're at as far as their graduation years and all that, or guys that will be high picks in the NFL if they choose to do so. Like this could be a big off season for attrition. So to me, I, I always kind of saw this year as a, you know, you better win because there's going to be some retooling that happens in 2022 and beyond. Not that that retooling can't lead to something even better with the quality of recruits they're bringing in, but still, I, I they have answered every question I've had with A plus answers, and I I'm more than that's why I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt with a game like this Villanova game because they've earned it. Yeah, my entire thing was that. There was just the possibility that they lose to Wisconsin, they carry that into Ball State, they lose to Auburn, they beat Villanova, and suddenly we're looking at a 2-2 two and two football team that is just not convincing in any way. Shape. They, we basically are looking at a Penn State team that is what Wisconsin is right now, right? Where we know there is stuff that they're good at, but the stuff that they're bad at which would probably largely stem from the quarterback would cost them against teams that are not at an FCS or low level FBS level. And what we've seen so far is that this is a team that has figured out it's passing off. It has figured out the stuff that James Franklin wants them to do defensively. They're just good. Like there's no need to talk about it. There's just a really good defense. They're able to create havoc plays. They have a very good back seven, their front seven isn't perfect, but it's getting better and better. And we can see the signs of being a, an excellent defensive line. Offensive side of the football, we know James Franklin wants to win the turnover battle. We know James Franklin wants to win the big play battle. And as long as you win those two things, you're going to put yourself in a position to succeed. And so far, Penn State has done an exceptional job at winning both of those. And to me, that like that's where the optimism comes from. You're building off of the two building blocks of the program, as opposed to last year, where Penn State wasn't winning the turnover battle. Penn State wasn't winning the big play battle. And those fundamental things of the offense and really the fundamental things of the defense, because the defense was a little bit leaky and allowing big plays. It wasn't forcing turnovers all that often, that sort of thing. Those building blocks weren't there. Well, they're there now. And you can now, after four games, go, that's where we are. We can now start going to where we want to go based off of us using this non-conference league to figure out those two things. For the speed with which they've gotten 
Mike Yurcich's offense install is incredible. Like it is nothing short of incredible what they've been able to do with that. And I I'm excited, you know, to see what they are going to do on the horizon because like we mentioned, Nick, the schedule, we thought this was going to be, you know, I don't want to say this is going to be a dip, but we thought the first three games were going to be slugfest. Villanova was going to be a bit of a reprieve. Indiana was going to be a home game, but it was going to be tough regardless. Iowa, maybe not that great. Illinois, maybe not that great. And this would kind of be a bit of a low. Well, all of a sudden, Indiana looked like it started figuring some stuff out last week. Iowa is a fantastic football team. Illinois is still Illinois. And then the back half of the schedule is all teams that have re- that received votes in this past May people. So I don't know. Like, I'm, I would have been scared if you told me those things at the beginning of the season. But right now, like, I'm excited about the challenge that is going to be the final two months of Penn State season. What about you? Yeah, no, totally. I I would so much rather watch my favorite football team play competitive, exciting games week in and week out than, you know, have a three week stretch of Illinois, Akron and Kent State. Like, that's not fun. Like, it's sure it's fun to see, like backups get in and things like that. But I want to watch my football team play in entertaining football games. Like I think the best example of that is the Rose bowl. Like, yeah, Penn state lost that game, but that was one of the most entertaining football games I've ever watched. And I still look back on that game fondly, despite the final score. So I would much rather have the, have my team be in the situation that they're in right now. This is going to be an awesome, awesome few months of watching football. Uh, Cause you're right. The only lull is, Illinois, and then I believe the bye week is right next to Illinois, if it's I remember the, correctly. Uh, Indiana at Iowa by Illinois at Ohio State. Yeah, so there's your lull. Your lull is the bye week in Illinois. So I I love that. I love that they are going to be in these great close games every week because it's only going to make them better for the long run. And for my money, this is the best team in the Big Ten right now. And I I would love to see them continue to be tested as often as possible because that also just gives you more leeway. Like if you're playing great teams every week and you do pick up a loss at some point, but you're let's say they lose to Iowa, for example, as long as they get the rest of the get through the rest of the schedule, let's say they play for a Big Ten championship, all that, especially with Clemson now effectively out of the college football playoff talk, 11 and one Penn State with the resume they're going to have will still very much be on the table. I prefer they just go ahead and run it and take the whole thing and be undefeated going into the playoff, but it's just so much more exciting this way. Yeah. Seeing people put Penn state as like a two or a three seed in the playoff. It's just been like, whew. I, I, and I, it's I not enjoy- weird. No, it's not weird. Like I enjoy they it. Belong there. Yeah. Moving on to the mailbag. Uh, I'm going to group together these first three questions for reasons that will be obvious after I read them. Uh, from at Deuce Horse One, is the running game really as big a concern as it appears? How can the O line be so good on pass blocking and so bad in run blocking? At I am Brad Minoski, what do you think is Penn State's problem with not being able to run the football so far? At Two Logical Four, is there anything else to talk about aside from the O line's putrid display on Saturday? Nick, I gave uh, I spoke a bit about the offensive line. I'll give you the podium here. I think just any addressing it, like you don't have to go point by point in these questions, but just any broad thoughts on the offensive line and the running game and whether, let me start by give you a path into talking about this. One to 10, how concerned are you about Penn State's running game as a whole? I'd I'd say like a four, honestly. Um, And for me, it's because the way that college football and football in general is played now, I don't think they need to be able to do a whole lot more than what they currently do in the run game to be a successful football team. It's 2021. Football is played through the air. You win and die by the pass. That There's a reason why people aren't predicting Iowa, for example, to go to the college football playoff right now. There's a reason why teams like Wisconsin are not playing well. There's there's the ceiling is just only so high when all you can do is run the football, because at some point you're going to be in a position where you're going to have to move quickly down the field. And the best way to do that is by passing the ball. Would I love to have Penn State's run game, you know, pick things up a bit so they can 
you know, say, have a great another great closeout drive against Illinois in their house with Noah Kane battering his way down the field? Absolutely. And I am not at all saying that they should stop working on those things because if they can do that, then this offense is pretty much unstoppable. But I, I just don't think that, one, it's worth changing anything greatly along the offensive line to try to achieve that goal of a better run game because I think the assessment that the O-line's play has been putrid in any game this season is extremely unfair because their pass protection has been outstanding for most of the time. There, I Clifford's been sacked a few times, but you know some of them have also been his fault. So I, I don't agree with that assessment in the slightest. So I think doing something like... I mean, I think the only logical thing you could do would be to try to like move Juice Scruggs to center and let Bryce Effner get a crack at right guard or Des Holmes or something like that. And I think that'd be a mistake. So I just don't think that it's as big of a deal as it's being made out to be. As long as they can get like as long as they are not falling backwards on every single play that they run, I think it's fine because those quick bubble screens and all that stuff, those are that's an extension of the run game. Like that goes down as a pass. But that's about as safe of a pass as you can get. And those are easy yards. A bubble screen pass to Jahan Dotson that goes for nine yards is just as good as handing the ball off to Noah Kane and letting him rumble for nine yards. So it's not a huge concern for me, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing I will add to that is, one, I, I think they're going to end up being fine. Like, I don't yeah, think same. that, like... It's something that I think they'll figure out as time goes on. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm totally wrong on that. And then I want to uh, just read a quote that James Franklin said um, yesterday after the game. He was asked about perimeter screens. And one thing he said was, uh, the one thing I would say that probably isn't being talked about a whole lot. If people are going to outnumber you in the box, we've had a lot of success throwing the perimeter screens. That's really an extension of the running game. I thought we got the ball in the perimeter a decent amount, but I could be wrong. But I think that, that that that's an extension of the running game as well if people are going to defend you that way. And um, I would wh- – what I would say there is that – what do we talk about in the running game? When we say the running game, we say a reliable way to pick up four, five, six, seven yards. What is a more reliable way to pick up four, five, six, seven yards – then your quarterback who is completing 71% of his passes, whatever it is for Clifford, uh, he's at 71.7%. Seeing that he, when he looks over to his left, that he is a tight end, another wide receiver, and then a wide receiver behind him. And there are two defenders over there. And he can just take a snap, throw it over there, and they pick up seven, eight, nine yards immediately. That is what I think for all intents and purposes has been Penn State's best running play this year. I think that's one of those evolution of college football things. And I, like, I'm like i excited to see if they are able to use that to open up the running game a bit more. Because if they look really dangerous with that, which Keandre Lambert-Smith in particular is in a really great job as that dude. Suddenly you take a guy out of the box, you take one and a half guys out of the box and there's more room to run. And that's where balance starts coming in in the offense, in addition to the big plays and how good the passing attack has been, all those sorts of things. So just something to keep an eye on, something that James Franklin mentioned. Uh, another question from at tall Jake. Beaver Stadium permits each fan to bring a clear one-gallon plastic bag for medical needs. One of you guys been passing off as a medical need. And uh, Nick, do you want to spill the bad news to at tall Jake about our attendance of football games this year? I was going to ask. I don't think you had been to a game either. Um, I have not been to a Penn State football game. However, as of two hours ago, the decision was made that we will now be flying across the country for a game this fall. Um, My wife and I will be coming across to watch the homecoming game against Illinois, actually. So come that time. I'm not going to, why, why, what do I need to bring in Beaver Stadium? I'm not going to bring anything to Beaver Stadium. Come on. Yeah, I can they, fit, I can fit a flask anywhere else on my body. I don't need a clear plastic bag. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I will say a burger. Like maybe I try fitting a burger in there. I don't know. Uh, question I really enjoyed uh, from our pal at DK Viper. 
How much will the emergence of Parker Washington mean for the rest of the season? Washington this season, second on the team in receptions with 23, second in passing in uh, receiving yards, 301, second in receiving touchdowns and two. Uh, Jahan Dotson, for reference, is at 27 receptions, 360 receiving yards and four touchdowns. Uh, I'll let you take this one because I think it's possible you and I have different answers to this. I mean, I don't think it really – I mean, I think – Parker Washington already emerged. That happened last year. So anybody game planning and preparing for Penn State is already very aware of Parker Washington and what he can do. So I don't think this really changes all that much. I mean, because I also think Penn State is very aware of what he can do. And I haven't really seen anything about his usage in the last few games that has changed. Uh, like he's, he's always been that guy that is the first look over the middle of the field and plays like that, that we saw on Saturday. So, uh, I don't really think it changes much, honestly, other than that, you know, if he keeps doing what he did on Saturday, then the offensive ceiling just continues to push higher and higher into the atmosphere. Yeah, I, I, I basically agree. Washington, uh, we saw last season, how big of a, a nightmare he can be last year, 36 receptions. 489 yards, six scores. What I'd say is that the um, guys emerging who take this offense to a new level are one, the tight ends. And so far, what we've seen out of Theo Johnson, Brenton Strange, we've seen them start to break through in ways that I find really exciting. And I think as the season goes along, they're going to be much more involved in the passing game just because teams are going to focus on Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington. And then the third guy is Keandre Lambert-Smith. 11 receptions, 199 yards, and one touchdown uh, so far this year. I think he's a crucial, crucial, crucial piece to this. You need a guy who... How do I want to say this? When other teams are going to say, our best cornerback is going to be focused on making sure Jahan Dotson can't do anything. And our second best cornerback is going to be focused on making sure Parker Washington can't do anything. You need that third guy to be a schematic mismatch who is just going to feast on dudes. Like I think back to that LSU team in 2019 where Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, they were just so good that whenever Terrence Marshall caught the football, he had no one anywhere near him because everyone was so focused on those two guys. I'm obviously not saying that anyone is on the level of those three dudes. All of them are in the NFL right now. But being able to be the guy who benefits from the threat provided by those two is going to be huge. And again, I think we're starting to see that. Uh, The interception over the weekend was not good. That was something he has to clean up and drops seem like they could be a bit of an issue with him. And as he gets more comfortable out there, I think he's going to be huge. I think his emergence just gives Penn State such an additional element in its passing game that, again, if you have those three dudes and you have to think about them as pass catchers, you want to talk about running the football, having three guys at the, on the line of scrimmage and one linebacker because everyone else is focused on your pass catchers, it's going to be real damn easy to run the football. So those are the guys I'm more paying attention to, I would think. But I'm like that's not to take away from Washington, who I think is just a phenomenal football player. Uh, the last, only thing the only thing that we said before the season that Keandre Lambert Smith needed to be able to do in order to help take this offense to the next level was just be able to win one on one matchups. And that's exactly what he's done. Like that is all he has to do with Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson and the tight ends that they have. And he's done it perfectly. The only name I'll add to what you were saying, I think Marquise Wilson has earned a few more snaps at receiver. Agreed. That dude is shifty. Yes, he uh, got the fifth most snaps behind only Cam Sullivan Brown. Uh, and Harrison Wallace also got 10 snaps against uh, against Monova, which was very, very nice to see. Uh, last question, one that I think you and I are going to have a little bit of fun with. Uh, from at Thesis18, which offense is slash was more fun to watch, Joe Moorhead's or Mike Yurcich's? Um, I love this question. I think there is a very obvious answer to it, but I also think it is there are a lot of pieces that go into that very obvious answer. So what would you say, Nick? Firstly, this is a really, really difficult question. You can hear me, right? My thing's saying I'm muted. Okay, now it went away. 
I think this is a yeah. really, really difficult question to answer. Um, one, just because it's really hard to compare two guys who are a lot of fun on offense, but two, the offenses are just so different. Like the Joe Moorhead offenses, we're talking about Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, uh, Deshaun Hamilton, Chris Godwin, Side Blacknell, Mike Kosicki. <laughs> it's it's just a like all of those guys are in the I think Saeed Blacknell's still in the NFL, but he might be the only one that I'm on the offense about still being in the league. It's just like that's a totally different equation. I'm not saying that, you know, Sean Clifford might very well be, be playing himself into an NFL contract here this year. I expect Noah Kane and John Lovett probably get a shot in the NFL. Parker Washington, Jahan Dotson, Keandre Lambert Smith could see all them there uh, as well as Theo Johnson, Brenton Strange, but it's just a totally different equation in that regard. I, so I don't know if I can compare them directly like that. However, I think, I think your offense is more fun in the way that it, um, it seems to just be just so perfect for putting guys in the exact position that they need to be in, in order to find huge success. I think Joe Moorhead's offense was more fun in the way that his goal was just to make the opposing defense look stupid. And he did it so perfectly a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, here's what here you you touched on the big thing for me. Like the 2017, 2017 Penn State offense is the best one I've seen. Like I, you know, I was we were both two years old uh, during the nineteen ninety four season, so we're bad people to answer that question. But uh, you turned three during that season. I will specify that. Yes, uh, yes, I was much older. Here's the thing. Yes, you you have me by I think four months. Uh, here's the thing. Trace McSorley is not just a guy who made it to the NFL. Trace McSorley is a guy who got drafted into the NFL at quarterback. Saquon Barkley was a top. I thought you were going to say he's a guy who became a meme in the NFL. Well, he became started as a meme in Happy Valley because that song's from his college. Neither here nor there. Saquon Barkley was the number two or number three draft pick, something in that. Number two. Number two. Miles Sanders was a second-round NFL draft pick. Go to the receivers. Deshaun Hamilton was a day-two pick. Mike Kosicki was a day-two pick. Uh, Juwan Johnson went to Oregon. He, I think he was an undrafted free agent. Like, if you want, even want to go back to Chris Godwin, he was a day-two pick. To me, it's Joe Moorhead, and it's not close, and it's not because of Joe Moorhead. It is because the amount of ta- NFL caliber talent that was on that offense – is just something that's going to look up. That offense averaged 41.1 points per game, uh, something that I don't think Penn State's offense is going to be able to achieve this year just because of how tough the schedule is, neither here nor there. Having said that, like I think there's a way that Sean Clifford could get drafted um, if he continues to be a QB who makes really good decisions and has an accurate deep ball and can run a little bit. I think he could be a guy who makes it to the NFL. Um, running backs are a little hairy. Uh, I don't know what Noah Kane's NFL future is, Kayvon Lee's NFL future, John Lovett's NFL future. Like, I, I think at the very least we could say they don't have the NFL futures that Saquon Barkley or um, that Saquon Barkley or Miles Sanders had. And then move over to the receivers. I think Jahan Dotson is going to be a very good NFL receiver. Whether he's on the level of a guy like Chris Godwin, I don't know. Parker Washington, a guy who can have an NFL future. Keandre Lambert-Smith can have an NFL future. Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson can have NFL futures. But they're so early along in telling the stories of their football careers that I don't think we can like project that out quite yet. So that's what I will say is this, though, Nick. I think Mike Yurcich is like a psychopath. And oh, yeah, 100%. The, the joy that he seems to take, like the first play of the game, he was like, All right, Jahan, just go. Like, he seems to take more joy in calling passing plays that just break the back of the defense. That's something who I really, really, really like that. And I'm excited to see how that happens as we go along. But I, yeah, like, just from a sheer talent perspective, I don't know how this Penn State offense can compare to that 2017 or 2016 offense. I'm 100% expecting Yersich to do everything he humanly can to drop 60 on Ohio State. Like, he seems like the kind of guy mm-hmm. who would just take 
immense pleasure from just abusing one of his former teams. Um, it, it, like that is the I'm really excited for that game for so many reasons. Yeah, maybe um, they may, maybe he'll be able to get another Ohio State linebacker to quit mid game. <laughs> I w- I was telling someone back to go back to the the Moorhead teams real quick. I was I listed off for somebody the other day the players that were on the 2016 Penn State offense. They legitimately did not believe me that all those players were on the same team. Yeah, I I uh, I, I tweeted this earlier in the season. Uh, it was during the Oregon game, but it was just like, man, imagine that Oregon offensive line on that Penn State team. Like that team wins a national. Like I'm going to go to my grave thinking that a Penn State's team in 2017 had like an offense. They were a slightly below average to average offensive line. If that team had a good offensive line, I think they win the national championship that year. I will go to my grave. That will be my uh, the 94 team should have won a championship over Nebraska thing. But I don't know. I don't want to be too mean to Nebraska fans <laughs> because you know they only they missed the respect that they got in the Big 12. So we won't be too mean to them. They got poopy it's, in their it's diapers. It's not going to be. It's not going to be at the same level, but that 2016 Penn state roster is going to be the one that like in, in like seven, eight years that, you know, you know how people talk about like the 2000 and 2001 Miami rosters when you just look like this is a couple of years. Most of those guys are gone now, but you know, when you look around and you point out, Oh yeah. So Ed Reed, Jeremy Shockey, Jonathan Vilma, um, Andre Johnson, and you just kind of list off all the NFLers that were on that same roster. It's not going to be to quite the same degree, but I think okay. in like I was I was about to say, Nick, you no, need, no, no, need, no. need to make sure it's, you were saying that we are not as good as that Miami team. No, 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 no. And just in terms of like when you look around the league, you'll be like, oh, that guy was. A, oh, that guy was also. Wait, that guy was also on that. Like it depends. Like, the there's not enough defenders from that team to really even come close to measuring up to the same scale of it. But I th- like. There's going to be people that don't know when you find out that, wait, you're telling me Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders and Mike Asicki and Chris Godwin mm-hmm. and like this is going to keep going. It's going to be a lot of fun to look at in a few yeah, years. I, I agree. And the o- the only thing that I will add to all of this is that that team also set a bar like that's that's also part of it. Like if this Penn State team can win the Big Ten and make it to the playoff or win the Big Ten and make it to the Rose Bowl and win it throughout, like, whatever the Rose Bowl, like, I don't know if the Rose Bowl's in the playoff rotation this year or not, but you know, y'all know what I mean. If they can make it to that level of game or they can make it to the playoff and they could win that first game they play, we're just inherently going to think of this offense being more fun than that offense, just because, like, that's the nature of this beast. But, hey, there's a lot of lot to be excited about, uh, a lot that I think we're going to be exciting, excited about over the coming weeks and months. Nick, any final things to say before I wrap this pot up? Time for Indiana. Oh, boy. I cannot wait to talk about Penn, what I think Penn State could do to the Indiana Hoosiers. But that will be for a little bit later. In the meantime, get him at, ele- at 11.5 now while you can. Ooh, Nick's talking spicy. I like when he does that. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lines Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast wherever you go and get your podcasts. If you're heading over to Apple Podcasts, please make sure you are leaving us a five-star review. Please keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to make sure you are buying shirts. They are in Matt's basement, and he would like to ship some to you. Make sure you're following us on all our various social media channels, which includes our YouTube channel where Nick is going to be doing uh, some daily, daily-ish video sorts of things over there. One more at time, some at some point. One more time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Warlines Radio. For Nick Polak, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. It's me, Andy Dwyer. <laughs>